0: 1 Peter two, uh, four through eight. We are going to look at today. And uh, last week we looked at our identity as we as babies, and the the demand that we grow up in respects to our salvation. And how we do that is through the pure spiritual milk of the word. And and this week. Peter is going to give us another identity. And I've entitled this service, this sermon rather, Better Together. We need to understand that we're better together. Whether it's helping somebody move, whether it's buttressing somebody up when their spouse is facing cancer, whatever it is, we're better together. And God in His infinite wisdom has invited us as believers into a family. And we need to understand that that this thing goes way beyond just us as individuals, our identity is so life-changing, it's so huge, that it takes many, many different illustrations, pictures, to describe it. And, and, I, and I, wanna, I i was having a conversation with somebody on Friday, and we were talking about it, and I just it made me think about just the, I want to be ultra-clear here. And it wasn't that they were disagreeing with that at all, it just made me think to be ultra, ultra-clear, because sometimes what I think is clear may not be clear, but I, I want to make it Clear The identity, our identity, we're talking about being weird. And, and, and maybe, again, this is for my own sake, so I, as a pastor, can say I made it clear. I want to make it clear. I, I, when I say being about being weird, I'm not at all in any way remotely talking about isolating ourselves. Sometimes, as Christians, that's the way we take it, that we isolate ourselves from the world. That we just pull the eject cord and we just want nothing to do with the world. And we isolate ourselves. That's not at all what we're talking about when we're talking about being weird. The the Word of God growing up, maturing in respect to our salvation is so that we can, it's to insulate ourselves. It's so that we can go into the world with the gospel and the world not get into us. We are called to engage the world for the sake of the gospel. And historically, as Christians, our response to things, when the world and that is, is opposed to us, we just retreat. And we isolate ourselves. Think about it in the cold. You can, you can isolate yourself from the cold by staying in your house, but better yet, you can insulate yourself so that you can go into the cold and the cold not get into you. That's what the Word of God does to us, so that we can go into the world, engage the world for the sake of the gospel, seek and save the lost, go after making disciples, of the world, and the world not get into us. That's weird. The world literally saying, why aren't you cold? Because I've insulated myself with the truth of the gospel. Because I've insulated myself with the truth of God's word and his character. This is not at all about retreat. That's a whole different, that's a wrong weird. But just bottling yourself up in your home and wanting nothing to do with the world, that's, that's not the weird we're talking about. We're talking about engaging the world for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of God's kingdom. And, and that will require maturity. We're in a spiritual battle. S-t- soldiers. You've been in the military. They train. They train. They train. They train. So that they can engage the enemy in a, in a, in a, in a healthy way. That's what we're doing here. So that we can engage the enemy. We can engage the world. And our, and our weirdness will help us engage the world. How do we deal with cancer and have hope? The gospel. How do we deal with death and have hope? The gospel. How do we lose our jobs and have hope? The gospel. How do we struggle with our kids and all that and have hope? The gospel. That's the weird we're talking about. It's a hope in spite of our circumstances. It's a hope that's not grounded in our circumstances. It's a hope that presides over our circumstances. But we've got to have relationships. And the the other end of that is not engaging the world and participating in all their sin so that you can enjoy it and say, oh, I'm trying to engage. That's That's a different weird, too. That's not what I'm talking about, either. It's not a license to sin, and it's not a license to run away from the world. The call here is to engage the world. To go to work armed with the gospel and be a light at your office. To go to school engaged With the gospel and be a light on your campus to live in your neighborhoods, engage for the gospel's sake and be a light in your neighborhood to go after discipleship, engage them for discipleship, for salvation. Understanding again, and that understanding is sourced in who we are. And and, and Paul, Peter says, not only are we babies, but today you'll see in your handout, we're priests, we're called a company of priests. What did priests do? Priests offered sacrifices. What Peter is going to tell us today is that our lives, just as priests did in the Old Testament, they offered sacrifices. Here's the deal. As believer priests, we too offer sacrifices, but our lives are the sacrifice. Your life, my life as a believer is the sacrifice. That's the spiritual sacrifice that Peter says here. Look, again, the main point as the people of God we are precious stones who are being built up together to a beautiful temple where our lives are being offered as spiritual sacrifices. Look at, look at verse 4 through verse 8. And coming to Him, this is a continuation of what we saw last week, a coming to Him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of of God, You also, as living stones, are being built up. You see it again. Built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Why? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and this doom they were also appointed. Understand, we as believers, we we must see our salvation, our rebirth, all of that from an all-encompassing picture. Look, it's not just one part of our lives. It's not just what we do on Sundays. It's not just what we do on Wednesdays. It's not just who we are around certain people or certain times of the year. Salvation is an all-encompassing, completely new identity. It is a total new existence in an entirely new realm, in an entirely new kingdom, waiting for an entirely new city to live in for all eternity, heaven. It is huge, but but we also must see it from a community perspective, from a family perspective, and that's the perspective that Peter gets on. He hit on the individual perspective in some ways last week, and this week he helps us to understand the communal aspect, the familial aspect, the fa- the familial dynamic to our salvation, and even it not only individually but but as a family. Everything is about Christ. Again, Peter is writing to Christians who are being persecuted, scattered. They are scattered, we saw in 1-1, all over the Gentile world. They're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing animosity, hatred. Their lives are being threatened. And what Peter offers them is not a self-help. It's not four steps to this and that. It's not your best life now. It's Peter offers them an understanding of who they are. He offers them an identity. An identity. And you see it on your handout. Our identity in Christ forms the foundation for our lives. See yourself as a child of God. See yourself as a believer priest, as he says here. See yourself as a living stone being built up into a spiritual temple of sorts. Not only are you individually, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, the temple of God, but corporately we're a temple. Look, look, again, you see it in verses 4 and 5. Coming to him as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through... Jesus Christ. These two verses are really the heart of the issue, what he addresses here. Christianity is not simply about joining some religion. It's not simply about agreeing to theology. It is primarily about coming to Christ. It is about being adopted into the people of God through Christ. It is a family. It is a people. We'll see it next week in verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession you have been bought with a price paul says in 1 corinthians 6 you are not your own therefore he says glorify god in your body you belong to god you've not been freed from the penalty and the power and the pre- one day the presence of your sin to live life to its finest in in the ways of the world. You've been freed to glorify your Father in a way that you could not do as a sinner. As a captive sinner. And Christ is the centerpiece. You've been reconciled to your Heavenly Father, to your Creator through Christ. Christ is the centerpiece, the foundation. Relationship is the heart. Intimacy is at the heart of everything you see here. And you see it on your handout. As a believer, what he says here is you are literally joined to Christ in an indivisible union. Indivisible union. You're coming to him through Christ, who is a precious, choice stone. But you too are a stone, you're a little stone. There's a whole whole sermon there, we can go back to Matthew 16, 18, there's a whole sermon there on the difference between Petros and Petros, little stone and big stone, and what, it's Christ is the cornerstone, he is central, and when we come to Christ, we are adopted into a family, we're adopted into a people of God, and such We are to take on his life and we are to take on his character. He is the living stone. In in 2 Peter 1.4, Peter literally says that you are partakers, believer, of the divine nature of God. 2 Peter 1.4. Partakers. Think about that. Partakers of a divine nature, a totally new identity. The character of our Father. That's why Paul says, not I, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live to him who died and gave himself up for me. No longer do I live, but he lives in me. In, in you and I offering ourselves to God, it is literally Christ offering us, offering himself back to God as a fragrant aroma, as an offering through Christ. Christ. They're, they're, the reality of an identity and why it's hit on so much is there's no, there's no demarcation of where your Christianity ends. It never ends. Every area of our lives are to be marked out for God and His glory through Christ. The identity of who we are in Christ is to permeate every single, every single aspect of our lives. As Paul says in, in Corinthians 10.31, Whether you eat, drink, as remedial as that may be, do it to the glory of God. Or whatever else you do. Every aspect of my life is committed to his glory. But it goes beyond us individually. We're a part, and this is what Peter is saying, of a larger family. And you see it on your handout. We have to learn to view ourselves as believers and how we live with a corporate perspective. Not just an individualistic perspective. A corporate perspective. We're a family. We're to look out for one another. And that's weird in our world. In the world we live in, that's weird. Me caring about your walk and you caring about my walk and your walk, in that's weird to this world. We live in a world that the ends justify the means to, to do whatever you want to do. It's all about you. It's all, think about how many words we have created that begin with self-hyphenated something else. The focus is self. Self. Self-help. Self-realization. Self-actualization. It's, it's not about Chris. That's why, b- biblically, our family of God, the family of God, our people, it's pictured as a marriage. On June twenty eighth, 2000, by the way, I've been married to Karen for 14 years. Let the record show. I said 13 earlier, but I thought about that. That's wrong. 14 years. But well, on June twenty eighth, let the record show. That's still being the most words I've heard, but it's still 14 years. Listen, when I got married, Christ died. I mean, Chris died. Exactly. Self, self, I need to crucify self, big time. I'm trying to get Karen as 1 Peter 3, we'll get to that in a little bit, but she still doesn't call me Lord, as Sarah called Abraham Lord, but that's a whole different story. Christ, Chris died, I said, when again, Chris died. It's no longer I, it's us. It's us. What I do affects her. What she does affects me. Now there's two kids involved. What they do affects me. What I do affects them. And together, he says it in verse 5, we're being built up into a spiritual house. Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 20 and 22 say that as well. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow, you see they're fellow citizens, not individual citizens. You are fellow citizens with all the saints and are God's, Household, you see the familial language here, the corporate language having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. It's all about Christ, He is what holds everything together, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. You see the familial language, you see the growth language. We are to be a close-knit family, brothers and sisters, fellow, be- fellow believer priests. Again, we're not pictured as, as, as lying around as individual stones. We're not pictured as being Lone Rangers. We're not pictured as coming and tasting and then going live how you... We're pictured as living together. We're pictured as doing life together. And God's presence is not only with us individually, but it's with us corporately. There's something powerful about all of us gathering together, setting aside everything else that we could be doing. That's a picture to the world. Setting aside everything else that we could be doing right now, and yet we're here together, sitting under the Word of God and fellowshipping together. And what Peter is saying and what he's saying to these believers, again, who are being persecuted, see yourself as part of something bigger than just yourself. You're it's bigger than just you. You're you're a part of a community. You're a part of a family. That's why Hebrews 10 says do not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of such. But 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 meet regularly. Why to encourage one another to spur one another on to love and to good deeds. I made some calls Friday to some people that I just felt like I haven't seen in a while, and they were grateful. You realize? They do it to a person. They said, Chris, and I, this isn't about me, but this is about what a family does. Listen to me. Because I failed as much as I may have succeeded at this. He said, Chris, you notice that we haven't been there in three weeks? I said, well, I just feel like I haven't seen you and talked to you. And they were grateful, and they said, look, our schedules have been crazy. We've been in and out of town." T- t- But that's what a family does. That's what this body does. That's why we're gathering. Hey, I haven't haven't seen such and such in a couple weeks. Call them. That's not what you pay me to do. I do it just like hospital visits. That's what a family does. We look after one another, it's a family. And together, you see it, we're we're the temple of God, we're transformed lives, literally transformed lives. We We are sitting under the Word, we are yielding to the Spirit and the Word of God to see our lives transformed into the likeness and the glory of our Father. I mean, think about the beauty of him using the imagery here of a building. A building, a temple, is one structure made of lots and lots of different parts. But together, they come together individually, they come together to corporately produce something that is so much bigger and grander than any one of the individual parts. Do you see that? That's the nature of a family. Different parts, different abilities, different strengths, different weaknesses. Yet we come together for one purpose, to glorify our Father, to serve, to make much of our Father. And and this would have been huge, again, in the context to Peter's, Readers, coming to Christ meant a relationship, a community, a family with other believers. Listen, they were being abandoned by their physical families for coming to Christ. And here, Peter says, encourages them by saying, you're getting a new family. Think about that. In in coming to Christ, you were abandoned. His readers would have been abandoned by many of their own family. You know what he holds out? You get a new family. The church is to be that family. The church is to replace, the corporate group is to replace anything that they lost in following Christ. They would get it here. They would get it from other believers. Whatever they lost, they would gain in the Christian community. They lost their place in their own community. They gained a place in a new community. You see the family? You see the adoption Bringing someone into a family and replacing that which they've lost. That's adoption for whatever reasons. And the overflow is that we live here by the, char- by the character and the convictions and the values of our Father. We are here to reflect our Father. Not self centered, God centered. Big why? Because we're part of something bigger than ourselves. It's not about you individually. It's not about one, look, Christ is the cornerstone. We cannot, we are not a people apart from Him. And yet all the rest of us are being built up, being forged, being, that's why we have to mature. You see, all through air, they're not only family language, but maturity language, growing up, being built up. Why? To do exactly what they did in the Old Testament temple, to offer sacrifices. And in this case, your life and my life, believer, are the sacrifice. Please see that. Your life, being committed to the glory of God, living according to His kingdom ethic and His glory, is the sacrifice. That's the offering. Everything about our lives. Every aspect. And listen, that's worship. That's true worship. Worship is not three or four songs that we sing on Sunday it's giving of your entire life all day, every day. It's funny, in one of the, uh, this is actually a good thing, in one of the Christian songs that comes on the radio, they talk about eight days a week. And my kids, uh, you know, Dad, you know, I, unfortunately I've trained them to listen carefully to words like, they're not eight days in the week. What does that mean? Well, he's saying all the time. So in this case, I got to compliment the song. It was a good, it was a good moment in our car. My wife, by the way, uh, emailed Mercy Me. The other day about some lyrics, they haven't responded. We're hoping to hope that we can get some clarification there, but uh, just wanting to know. But listen, worship is eight days a week. Smile like you got away. With, sorry, sorry. No, that, that's the lyric. Sorry, it's bad. It's bothering me. Bothering me. you, you see? Worship is worship. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is an eight days a week thing. It's not, oh, well, this is what I do on the football field, or this is what I do in sports, or this is what I do with, in relation, or this is what I got to do like this to get ahead at work. No, you don't. You have to glorify God in your work and trust God with the results. This is what I got to do at school to fit in. No, you don't. That's a lie. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Everything about our lives, you see it on the handout, what he's saying is done to the glory of God. And together we do that, together, as a spiritual sacrifice. Listen, we're not doing it to earn our, sac- we're not doing it to earn our salvation. Hebrews 7-10, through 10, the lamb, Christ being sacrificed, was the, he was the Lamb of God who was crucified for the sins of the world. His sacrifice was totally sufficient and efficient for it. We're not doing it to earn it. We're doing it because it has been earned for us. Because it is finished, grace, it got gotcha. you, now it's teasing.. But it has, in some ways. Peter, Peter, this whole book, verse 5 through 12, stand firm on the grace of God. Everything about our lives as believers is built on the grace of God. Not earning it, it's built on what's already there. Christ is the foundation. We build our lives on that foundation. We're not establishing a new foundation. His work is the foundation. And our whole lives are meant to be an offering to that, look, look, you see examples of this on your handout. Romans 12.1, it says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual service of worship. It's offering your bodies. In Philippians 2.17, our service is seen as offered to God as believers. What we, when we go gather around an individual this afternoon and help them move, listen to me, it's an offering to the glory of God. I'm not doing it to earn my salvation. I'm not doing it so God won't let my washing machine break. I'm not doing it to twist His arm to give me a blessing. I'm doing it because she is a family member. She's a sister in Christ. And we're called to rally around one another. That's why I'm doing it. That's why I'm inviting us to do it. To be a picture of what the body of Christ does. Paul says in Philippians 2, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Do you see what he's saying? I pour myself out for others. For others. For the service of your faith. Philippians 4:18, he talks about gifts being our gifts being offered He says, but I have received everything in full and abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. They supported another group of believers, and Paul called that an offering, a spiritual sacrifice. If you were to go to Hebrews 13, 15, you would see that our praise is a spiritual sacrifice. No, no, no. That, I was telling Chris, I love watching these little kids, the youngest kids. I, I like watching all the kids, but especially the youngest kids, because they're, they're too young to have gained a self-awareness to where they care what they sound like. You can see it as the kids get older, they get self-conscious, they, yeah, and then you get us adults, and we're, we're so self-conscious because we so care what other people think about. These kids are up here just screaming out praises to the Lord. They don't care what they sound like. And and, and in reality, the Word of God, that's why the Word of God compares coming as children. Just come, trusting your Heavenly Father, just praising. Knowing that through Christ, God will take our praise. However bad you sing, through Christ, it sounds beautiful to, to the God. Think about that. However sorry, however weak. Now listen, you don't get this body and get recruited for moving. Okay? I'm not first on the list. But, but whatever weakness I got, I'm going to offer it up. Like, right, give me a lampshade or something. You guys, Lee, you take the couch, I'll take the lampshades. Like, Lord, about your toiletries? I can take those out there. Whatever you got. I mean, I don't look like Leonard. Leonard, Leonard, you need, you, you that guy's big. I talked to him the other day, and I was like staring at his stomach. But, but whatever you got. The point is, whatever you have, offer it. And through Christ, through Christ, it is enough. Through Christ, it becomes beautiful to our Father as an offering. No matter what it is. And, and Peter is saying, look, this would be been a huge comfort to those who were scattered and persecuted. I mean, think about what Peter says here to them. And especially in a culture that praised the temple, that made a big deal out of coming to the temple in their history. What Peter is saying is this. God's presence is with you always as believers. Understand that God's presence is with you. You are living stones. You literally are in Christ. You are the spiritual house. Therefore, You can worship God anytime, anywhere, and through anything you do. Why? Because He lives in you. And and worship, our worship goes way beyond a sacred place. We're not limited in Christ. We are not limited as to where we can gather and worship corporately as the church. We're scattered about in homes and tents and and under, listen, all over the world today, people are worshiping in homes and tents, under trees, they're in basements, they're hiding, they're they're worshiping the one true God all over, and you know what, it doesn't matter why, because Christ is in them, the hope of glory, therefore they can worship anywhere. It's almost like God has tailor-made Christianity for persecution. Think about that. It's almost as if he prophesied and said, As they hated me, they're gonna hate you. It's almost like he, like he promised Timothy, like Paul promised Timothy in 2 Timothy 3:12, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know what? I'm gonna make your worship of me and I'm gonna make your glorification for me persecution proof. That no matter where you worship, no matter how you're scattered, no matter what you're going through, no matter who's against you. If you're Paul sitting in a prison cell, you can worship me. If you're sitting in a prison cell, you can worship. No matter what. No matter what you face, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are. Listen, God has made a way that you can worship. Because you're the temple. And corporately together, we're the temple. That's why it's so paramount. And what he's saying is that everything about our lives, everything about our lives is a thanksgiving offering to Christ, through Christ, as believer priests. Christ is to be sought after, not just tasted, sought after. The gospel is what we live on as believers. It's not something simply we get saved by and then go find something else. We live by the gospel. Even, even, even in persecution we can worship. Why? Because Christ's in us. And look at verses 6 through 8. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, it has become the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. If you and I, listen, even in persecution, scripture promises, if you and I build our lives on Christ, we will never be disappointed. That's why Paul says, listen, our hope goes way beyond the things of this world. If we have hoped only in the things of this world, we are pitied. Pitied. Our hope is not in the things of this world, we're aliens. And in Christ, no matter what you face on this side of eternity, listen to me, you will not be disappointed. That's what Paul says in Romans eight eighteen. For I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. It's coming. And when that glory is revealed in us, listen to me, you will not be disappointed. The word they're disappointed can also mean deceived. You will not have been deceived to see Christ as who he truly is the way, the truth, and the life, and the means by which no one besides Him will enter the presence of the Father. And although that's beautiful for us who believe, the flip side is also true, and Peter says that here. Anyone, and, and again, I, I say this begging you to be reconciled to Christ because anyone in any religion outside of Jesus Christ will be disappointed. Disappointed. That's the flip side. If you die outside of Christ, you will be disappointed. You would have built your life on sinking sand. And as comforting as it is to understand that he's the cornerstone and he's the firm foundation, anyone outside of Christ is, will be disappointed. I don't, it, whatever your false religion is promising you, whatever your worldview is promising you, the Bible would say, you're going to be disappointed, you're going to be deceived. And Satan, again, Satan is the father of all lies, John says. He is a deceiver. And in contrast, we have a Savior who is, says, you will not be deceived, because I am the truth, the way, and the life. And I'm not talking about, again, ultimate, everlasting disappointment. Out for anyone outside of Christ. And again, Peter is talking about the exclusivity of Christ here. Every person, you see it on a handout, every person's eternal destiny hinges on their response to Christ. Your eternal destiny hinges all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Gospels, everywhere. That's the same, who do you say that Christ is? Who do you say he is? That's what Peter is saying in 6.8. It's Christ or nothing. All throughout the scriptures. How one responds to Christ, it determines your entire destiny. He is the cornerstone. That word cornerstone, it, 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 it would have been, it, I'm not a builder, but so I'm looking up that. It was what everything else rested upon. It was the keystone in a building. The word literally means to set the angles, to set all the angles. Think about that picture. That everything in our life is oriented back to Christ. What is straight is oriented to Christ. He's the cornerstone. What is true is oriented to Christ. He's the cornerstone. What is level is oriented to Christ. He's the cornerstone. What holds it all together is Christ. He's the cornerstone. Everything about the building went back to the cornerstone. And that cornerstone, if you saw one of these buildings, it would be the most obvious stone in the building. And I thought about that for us as believers. Is is Christ obvious in our lives? Is it obvious that he's the cornerstone in our lives? Is it obvious that he is what everything else is built upon and resting upon in our own lives? You see it on your handout. He's the cornerstone. Everything goes back to him. I mean, you go through the scriptures, you go to the Old Testament, you find Christ. You go to the Gospels, you find the anticipation of Christ. The Old Testament, you find the anticipation. You go to the Gospels, you find the incarnation of Christ. You go to Acts, you find the proclamation of Christ. You go to the the, the epistles, you find the explanation of Christ. It's always, always, always been about Christ. One way, by faith. Hebrews 2, 4. Without faith, it's impossible. He who comes to God is faith faith that's why christ is behind so much of the struggle in this world who you say that christ is is the most important thing about our lives those who trust in christ will not be put to shame will not be disappointed those who do not trust in christ disappointed again when so- who someone says that christ is you see it in a handout is the issue that divides believers from non-believers who do you say that christ is not church attendance, not work, not being good enough, not doing... not your, No, who is Christ? And you build your life on that. Even in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is foolishness, Paul said, to those who are perishing. But to those who are believing, word of God, wisdom of God. You see the division. And the division rests on who Christ is. And yet, he says disobedient to the word they stumble because they're disobedient to the word again you see obedience obedience is the issue again this is written to people who were rejected by the world and yet god is they were treated as as paul says in in second corinthians that they're treated as the dredge of society the waste of society and yet peter says you're precious the world says you're useless and yet god says you're precious through Christ. This would have been immensely encouraging to a people who were suffering. And he's saying, find your identity not in who the world says you are. Find your identity in who God says you are. And again, Peter's concern here is for the overall witness of the church. And that witness is spent in a life praising God. Believers, you see it on your hand, I have been are set set apart in order to make much of God. That's the purpose of the church, to make much of God. We will see it next week. We are a holy priesthood, a royal nation, a people of God, to declare the excellencies of the one who saved us, who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. My role, your role as a believer is to proclaim To display what life under the good rule of God as we sojourn in this foreign land, what life under God looks like. And every aspect of our lives is to be lived to display the goodness of Him who called us. Believing, believing that in the end we will not be disappointed. The question is who do you say that Christ is? See the cornerstone or see the stumbling stone? Upon what? Upon what are you building your life? That's the question. I pray that we would be a people that together make much of Christ, like living stones, believer priests, together representing the greatness of our God, offering ourselves in a way that tells the world our hope is somewhere else. And we believe that we can give up our lives for God on this side of eternity because we will not be disappointed for all eternity. Because He who called us is sure.